Welcome back uh, to the Wednesday Bible Study, and we uh, are so glad you've decided to join us. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, uh, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and also director of themanchurch.com. This is the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. For those of you that are watching the YouTube option, either live or archive, if you're listening on the podcast option, well, just thought I'd tell you that, something interesting. Uh, Some things that you need to know uh, that are going on involving themanchurch.com uh, if you are in the Somerville, Georgia area, uh, I'll be at uh, Chattooga High School Gymnasium coming up on April 30th. So if you're uh, you know, watching this or listening to this on that week, uh, we'll be there. It's free. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's open to anyone who wants to come. Uh, they, the host church has actually just finished uh, our 40-week curriculum, the first one called The Pursuit, and they're now bringing in other churches and people who might want to be plugging in to the discipleship strategy. Our, our next 40-week curriculum it's coming out any day now. I'll be looking for it on themanchurch.com. It'll go 40 weeks as well, featuring eight men of the Bible. You'll spend five weeks on each man, uh, and it'll be done just like the other, where you have the 12 to 15-minute video of me teaching, the study guides that go with it. Uh, it will be available as a choice for those of you that may have already uh, nearly completed uh, the Pursuit curriculum, or maybe you just prefer that subject matter uh, to start your discipleship strategy. We'll help you. Uh, the team at themanchurch.com. So that is a free event on Friday night, but they do want you to go there and register so they know that you're coming, kind of checking out the crowd and all that at Chattooga High School Gymnasium. Uh, make plans to be with us. You can find that at burgessministries.com under events. And then this Sunday night, May the 2nd, uh, be there for Man Church at First Baptist Church in Colquitt, Georgia. Uh, they, they've already been doing the discipleship strategy. They've even had a Man Church. Uh, so they've done like 20 weeks of the 40. Uh, I'll be coming in uh, and uh, be part of uh, their man church coming up on Sunday night. If you're in that area, you want to be there, you can. That is also free. Now, I realize that um, uh, just making notes on the Wednesday Bible study, I will be back a week from today. So we will do a, a Bible study on May the 5th, but the following week I will be on vacation. So make a note of that. Uh, we will not have a Wednesday Bible study uh, on the uh, the 12th. Uh, so, so So make a note of that. Uh, the, the two weeks from today. Uh, so let's open up in a word of prayer. We've got a lot to cover today. This is a, another long chapter and uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Today we will take on the phrase uh, sons of God. What does that mean? And we'll talk about that. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, this this uh, concept of, of, you know, we understand redemption and justification, but today to take on this this thought that we've actually been adopted by you as as your sons and daughters, um, uh, just just trying to wrap our mind around this adoption concept. Uh, help us, Lord, to completely grasp it today and find joy in it. But at the same time, if we we hear this today and we think to ourselves, we've never been justified, we've never been redeemed, uh, we don't think we have been adopted uh, by our heavenly Father. That we assess that today too and resolve that situation. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will be with me and help me to work through all my flaws and imperfections to deliver this correctly today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's, let's dive right in. Let's ask this question right out of the gate. This is session 19. Uh, we, we still have um, a few more sessions to go in this particular study. Um, and we're getting toward the end of it. Uh, but, uh, J.I. Packer asked this question, are all people sons of God? Everybody, no matter what, uh, is God their father? Now, remember, he, he, because the answer to this is about to be emphatically no. And I know for some of you, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Now, be careful. Yes, it's true that everybody has a creator. God is their creator. That's not the question uh, that the Bible is asking and J.I. Packer is, is asking. The question isn't whether we all have a creator. Yeah, we do. Everybody does. The question is not that. The question is, are all people sons and daughters of God, and they also now have access to him as father? Okay? And the answer to that is no. The idea that all people are, are children of God is found nowhere in Scripture. And, and there's one, I'll share something with you, but if you, if you listen to this, um, this was not even included in the chapter, but this, this jumped out at me personally uh, because God has really buried me into First John for so many uh, months and months and months now. But if you go to First to John chapter 3, you see John taking on this concept 
He says in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. You remember some packing the term abide? Abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now listen to this. Listen to verse 10. This is exactly what J.I. Packer is talking about, that Scripture does not say that, that all people are children of God. It does not say that. Listen to this in verse 10. Talking about by the way you live, looking at those who live in continuous sin, he says this, John does, inspired by the Holy Spirit. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So he didn't say all people are children of God. He said if you want to know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil, then then he says whoever does not practice righteousness, why? Because Jesus makes us fully righteous is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the people who are born of God, they do not make a practice of continuous, perpetual and, and, and sin, uh, meaning that we, we, we go out and live. Now, the disciples of Jesus and the children of God on this side of heaven struggle with sin. That's different. But he says the children of the devil live in continuous, perpetual, deliberate sin. And that's how you tell the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. So there's a scripture right out of the gate. Here's another one that we start with. Uh, we we want to look at this. First of all, in the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament, uh, you find this in Exodus, Exodus 4, 22 and 23, God is shown to be uh, a father, but he's shown very clearly in the Old Testament that he's not the father to all. He is the father of his own people. And who's that? The seed of Abraham. Israel, you look to the Old Testament, I got news for you. We, we need as Gentiles, if you're a Gentile watching this and listening to this, and you're not a Messianic uh, Jewish person, we were out in the Old Testament. We did not have access to God the Father. We had God the Creator, but we were, we were done for because he had made it very clear that he was the Father only to his own people. And, and the seed of Abraham, Israel, is what he says in Exodus 4, 22 through 23. Israel is my firstborn son. You remember when he sent Moses, what did he say? He wanted Moses to say, let my son go. Meaning this is, this is the, the children of Israel are the sons of God in the Old Testament. Okay, The New Testament expands. Now the Gentiles are grafted in through Christ, and now we become the church. You know, that's what a lot of people don't understand, and I heard Steve Farrar probably said it as clear as I've heard it said. We've talked about this before, because I know sometimes Gentiles and, and people of the church, they, they don't know what to do with the Levitical law. They don't know what to do with, with, with the ceremonial rituals. They don't know what to do about that under the New Covenant. It's really quite simple. The Old Testament moral law never changes. The moral law, it, it, it stands. It never changes. We all are held to that standard, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. However, the civil laws and the ceremonial laws that we're not we're not held to that. We, that's that's just for the, that's just for Israel. That's not for the church. That's for Israel. Well, for, for instance, you don't see us still doing animal sacrifices because what did what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The ceremonial is fulfilled. It's over. So we're not held to that. It's one of the questions I asked when I was in Israel talking to um, uh, Orthodox Jewish people is I did ask the question, where are the sacrifices? And I had to be very careful with this. I don't want to be disrespectful. All you got is a wall left of the temple. I see you stuffing prayers in it. But, you know, because they like to debate this. They want to talk about this. It's not rude. They love this. And I said, so where is the ceremonial law? It should not have stopped. If, If Jesus of Nazareth is not Messiah, and the Lamb of God has not come, then the ceremonial rituals should continue. Now, they do continue the civil laws. They still do that. You go to Israel on a Saturday, it's shut down. I mean, they, they, they're beholden to the Old Testament Sabbath, and they, don't, they do all the civil things uh, that, they, that they find in, in, the, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, but they don't do the ceremonial because they're not doing animal sacrifices anymore. So, and the word I got back was, well, we try to do enough good things. We, we came up with Yom Kippur and things like this, where we do all these good works. And, of course, I asked the question, how do you ever know if you've done enough? You know, how, how, do you know you pushed all the sin back by the 
the good works? Did you do enough? Because, you know, you were supposed to be doing the blood of animals and, and all this. So, so what happens in the New Testament, yes, it's true that the civil laws have have now been fulfilled, and the ceremonial rituals have been fulfilled. The moral law still stands. It still applies. That's why Jesus had to make us fully righteous. So in the New Testament, yes, it expands to the Gentiles being grafted in, but God still isn't the father of all. He's now only the father Father to those knowing themselves to be sinners, put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their divine sin bearer. We talked about that, uh, that he, he was the substitute. And we, we now recognize Jesus as our Lord, as our master. And then we become Abraham's spiritual seed. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. So, so yes, it's expanded in the New Testament, but still it's not everybody. It's only the redeemed. So, so look at Galatians um, chapter 3, uh, and we're going to start in verse 26. So look at this. For in Christ Jesus, be sure you underline that, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Jesus, you're not. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So we're saved by grace through faith. That, that is a faith of action. We, we no longer have faith in ourselves. Our faith fully goes to our new Lord and Master, and we transfer that faith to him receiving the grace. So he says this. He said, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, and have put on Christ, what do you say, if you abide in me and I abide in you, deny yourself and follow me, Luke 9.23, that's not becoming a better version of yourself. That is, we don't exist, we're now in Christ. Everybody, hey, Rick, who are you? I'm Rick, in Christ. So the redeemed have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, and then look at 28. Here's the thing that did change in the new covenant. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, meaning that that male and female are now on equal standing as far as redemption is concerned. Uh, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody equal now at the foot of the cross. Gender, ethnicity, uh, slave, free, all all that's done away with. Remember we said all this uh, pursuit of of equality by the world standard, it's never going to happen. If you want true equality, this is it. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, equality is at the foot of the cross. That's when all these labels go away and we all become one church. And look at 29. And this is the key to the New Testament simply confirmed what the Old Testament was already saying about God the Father and our adoption, which we're going to unpack in great detail today. Listen to verse 29, what Paul says to Galatia. And if you are Christ, apostrophe S, belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Does everybody follow me? So what, what did Jesus do for us, Gentiles? He, he made us now. We, we're counted in Abraham's seed. Now we're Abraham's offspring through Jesus. We're grafted in. And now the Jew and the Gentile become the church all who have recognized Jesus as Messiah. And, uh, and so now we are all sons of God. So w- when you look at what's happening here, though, what you really see here is you see the, the gift of sonship to God becomes ours, not through being born, but what? Through being born again. This is all, this is all what Jesus is talking about. Do you remember Nicodemus? He's like, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? Because you just told me I've got to be born again. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't become a son of God just because you were born the seed of Abraham and born of a woman. That doesn't make you a son of God. It makes you created by God. You become a son of God, not through birth. You become a son of God through being born again, being born into Christ, who then makes us, that's our adoption. Now we can call ourselves sons of God, daughters of God. Remember, remember Paul tells us that, uh, that, that our wives or the, our sisters or our daughters, they are co-heirs now with us. Uh, we are, all have been adopted as the children of God. To all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
children born not of natural descent nor of human decision are a husband's will, but born of God. Write that down. That's John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So sonship, or becoming a child of God, adoption, then is a gift of grace. It is not a natural birth. What is it? It's adoptive. Right? Because, you know, you've heard this term before. Now, is this, is this your mother? Is this your father? Yes. Is this your birth mom? Is this your birth father? Well, a child who's been adopted says no. I actually wasn't born naturally to them, but through adoption they have become my father. That he has, she has become my mother. So is the adoption, are these parents, are they less parents? No. It's just a, it's a different deal. This child becomes the child of this earthly father through earthly adoption just as we become children of God through a spiritual adoption. And that adoption and that being born again, being reset, is in Jesus. Everybody with me? I mean, this is a really incredible concept. And J.I. Packer goes as far to say, uh, and you may agree or disagree, okay, because J.I. Packer is just a man, but he's making some pretty strong cases here to where he's saying, I believe this adoption concept is 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 more glorious than 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 justification. Now I know you're saying, well, how can it be better than Jesus? You know, became the substitute for me. No, that's big. But what what J. I. Packer wants you to know is it's even bigger to understand what justification did. Everybody okay with that? We're certainly not saying there's another way to be redeemed or justified. He's saying don't miss the concept. That that justification is bigger than hey I'm not just I'm not going to hell, it's bigger than that. That's big. You have just become a child of God. You now have access to a heavenly Father that in the Old Testament you had to be careful even uttering His name. Watch it. So now that whole holy of holies and and that 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 distance between human beings and 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 the great I am. Uh, the heavenly Father. Only certain people could go in there. You had to be, you know, you had to be offspring of Aaron, or you had to have a. But what what happened in justification is is God now looks to every every child of His and says, through my Son Jesus, He now has given you sonship. He now has made you my sons. He's now made you my daughters, and now we have a personal relationship. You can now call me Daddy. And uh, and I'll and I'll unpack that because that's exactly what Jesus uh, is talking about, and, and the Apostle Paul tells us about this in Romans chapter 8, about using the term Abba, Father now. That is a very casual, uh, that's, like talk, that's like saying that's my daddy. It's not like saying that is my father. You know, that, that is my, that's my daddy. I, that's, that's, that's the one who loves me. That's the one that cares for me. Uh, and we didn't have that relationship as Gentiles. We didn't have it at all until we, we, we had justification. So now Father has become his covenant name for, for, the, for, the, for the covenant which binds him to his people, talking about God, now stands revealed as a family covenant. It's a whole different relationship now. Christians are his children, his own sons, his own daughters, his heirs. And the stress of the New Testament is not on the difficulty and, and danger of drawing near to the holy God, but now because of Jesus on the boldness and the confidence with which believers may now approach him, a boldness that springs directly from faith in Christ and from the knowledge of his saving work. Listen to what Paul said to Ephesus. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us. The writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Amen. This is a game changer. And the Bible wants us to know that. I think sometimes I'm guilty of skimming over this and the importance of this. By the way, the last thing I said was out of Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And then before that was Ephesus three twelve. So, we live in a picture of adoption. 
It is a new relationship. Uh, We now have a covenant name, and this is part of the new family dynamic that God creates in his church. But now you you need to also think of this. Um, Don't think of your holy father as flawed as your earthly father. Okay, because I think that's where you got to be careful sometimes when this this father image comes in. Sometimes people, don't forget, the scriptures tell us that, that God is a father to the fatherless. There, there's no one that has been justified by Jesus Christ that is fatherless. Matter of fact, you have a perfect father. Uh, some of us have earthly fathers that, are, that have been good fathers, but man, they're flawed. This holy father, father is not flawed at all. So even if you had a good father, he's still not a perfect father like our heavenly father. One of the things that God revealed to me when my youngest son went to heaven is the comfort knowing that this child had left a flawed father and now was in the, in the care and the arms of a perfect father who really loves him more than I was capable of loving him. I mean, that really is the truth. I was, I'm flawed. But, the, but, uh, but, but Bronner's heavenly father isn't flawed. Uh, he's with his perfect father. He's really with the, the, you know, it's almost like our earthly children. They're just, they're just almost loaned to us by God. They ultimately belong to him. They're his. That's their real father. And I know sometimes we, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that, but there ought to be a lot of comfort that comes with that because I don't know about you. I have not accomplished being a perfect father. Uh, but, but, but my children, if they, if they are justified, have a heavenly father who is perfect. So don't take your earthly father baggage and hang that on your heavenly father because it will it doesn't belong there. So uh, God has not left us to guess what his fatherhood amounts to by drawing analogies from human fatherhood. Do not try to see your heavenly father as, as using analogies of your earthly father because they fall well short. He revealed, this is important, the full meaning of this relationship once and for all through our Lord Jesus Christ in his own incarnate son. And it is from God that all fatherhood, earthly or heavenly, derives its name. That's Paul again talking to Ephesus again in Ephesus 3.14. So first, let's talk about the things in the Bible that, that, that are said about fatherhood, okay? And, and, and I'll list these for you. Number one, here's what Scripture says about a, our perfect father. Fatherhood, scripturally, it applies, it always implies authority. The father commands and disposes the initiative which he calls his son to exercise is the initiative of resolute obedience. Remember, Jesus said that. He, he said, I'm here, I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus talking about his earthly father, which now through him is our earthly father. Man, what a concept. He said, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. This is the son talking to the father. And the son says, I can't do anything by myself. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. All of this is in the Gospel of John. We covered all this in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, That was in chapter 6, 38, chapter 17, verse 4, chapter 5, verse 19, and chapter 4, verse 34. This is all in the Gospel of John. These are comments that Jesus made showing us what? That, that, that our heavenly father is in a place of authority. That's authoritative figure. So if you look to scripture for what fatherhood means, the one thing it means is authority. What's the second thing it means? And this is beautiful, especially when you think about the beginning of all things, the, the holy, holy, holy one, Jehovah. The second fatherhood implies affection. Isn't that cool to know that the father loves the son? Jesus said, the Father the Father has loved me. I've obeyed my Father's commandments, and I remain in his love. So Jesus says that when we are obeying our, 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 our heavenly Father, it is much bigger than obeying our earthly Father, which we should, you know, unless he asks us to do something that is immoral. But, but our heavenly Father never asks us to do anything that's flawed. And, and he says, you know what? I have the love of the Father. And so Jesus says, the love of my Father I now pass on to you. You have access to the love of your heavenly Father. That's in John chapter 5, verse 20. It's also in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. So we know that in the Bible, fatherhood means authority. 
Second, it implies uh, affection. And then third, fatherhood implies what? Fellowship. We now can enter the Holy of Holies through the justification of Jesus Christ. We're now walking into the presence of our Father uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. I'm not alone. For my Father's with me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. This is Jesus referring to his heavenly Father, and he said, hey, he's in authority. I do his will. He he has affection. He loves me. He also um, has fellowship with me. I'm not alone. He doesn't leave me alone. I'm with him. So the fourth thing that fatherhood applies from Jesus talking about his heavenly Father, which is our heavenly Father, is honor. Honor. God, God's will to exalt his son. Father, Jesus said, glorify your son. The father has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. All this now, all these things, this is what we love. And by the way, what he said about honor was in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, right there in verse 1, chapter 5 in the Gospel of John, 22 and 23. You remember we studied this in our study of the Gospel of John. If you didn't, if you haven't done that with us, you can go back to BurgessMinistries.com, click on Listen, search all the different Bible studies, and you'll see 33 weeks on the Gospel of John. We unpack every word. You can also find that in the archives by hitting Playlist on the YouTube channel. So remember, so when we say that Jesus told us that, that, that our Heavenly Father, His Heavenly Father, is authoritative, He's affectionate, He doesn't leave him alone. He has fellowship with him. And he also is a God and a father that deserves honor. And then he also honors those that he loves, his children. So what you need to celebrate today, if you've been justified by Jesus, all of this that Jesus talked about has now been extended to God's adopted children. Jesus said, I'll give you the same relationship. Is that not Incredible. Listen to it. Listen right here. Listen to what Jesus says. Christ our Lord did this for us. Through him, we become God's adopted children. We are ruled. We are loved. We are accompanied with and honored by the same Heavenly Father. As Jesus obeyed God, so must we. This is the love of God, that God wanted us. Look at this in 1 John. And this is chapter 5, uh, verse 1, and, and also in verse 3, that we keep his commandments. In John 16, as God loved his only begotten son, so he loves his adopted sons. The Father himself loves you, John 16, 27. As God had fellowship with Jesus, so he does with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3. As God exalted Jesus, so he exalts Jesus' followers as brothers in the one family. Listen to this. If any man serve me, he will, uh, he will, he will also be honored by my Father. John 12, 26. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am, John 17, 24, to see and share the glory which Jesus enjoys. So all the things that Jesus has and the relationship that Jesus has with his heavenly Father through justification, Jesus now provides us to be adopted and become his adopted co-heirs. Isn't that incredible? Uh, But this is straight out of Scripture. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you take your Bible right now and turn it, to Romans chapter 8. We'll hit this again before we wrap up, but I want, I want to do this now because I think right now it fits too. Romans chapter 8. Listen to what the Apostle Paul uh, says about what we're talking about right now, okay? Uh, he says in, um, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. This is back to we've been redeemed now. You're living for the Spirit, not the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, so that you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of 
adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is Paul quoting this much less. Um, This is a very endearing word to call God the Father, Abba. Like I said, it would be like us calling him Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. And then the part that I know a lot of us don't like, because right now we're all in. So we we get to be co-heirs with Jesus? Yes, we do. But what did Jesus always tell us about being with him? Paul does not hold back on this, and he lived this in his own life, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Yeah, if if you want to take on what it was like to be Jesus and become one of the sons of God, then until we get to the end of all this, we'll also suffer just like Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. This this Romans chapter 8 is going to show up again if we have time, because this is a long study today. It's possible that we'll have to break it up into two sessions. We'll see. So let's talk about adoption, this concept of adoption. You hear Scripture pointing to it clearly. So the first point about adoption, J.I. Packer said, it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And this is where some some of you may push back. I admit when I first read it, I'm like, whoa, now, whoa. But listen, he makes a great case. This is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's higher even than justification. I know there may be some pushback there. And he says that. He said, I know some of you are raising your eyebrows, and I got you. He said, but I think I can make the point. He said, justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his, with his acceptance for the future, this is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. That's not a question. He says, justification is the primary blessing because it meets the primary spiritual need. So we all, we all celebrate that. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law, the moral law, condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, makes us restless, makes us miserable. And in our lucid moments, it makes us afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our Maker. So we need the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in the world. And, and, and this the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. And he says, and I totally acknowledge that. The first gospel sermons to be preached, those recorded in Acts, lead up to the promise of forgiveness of sins to all who repent and receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So he acknowledges that. You, know, you get into the first part of the New Testament, and we want to be sure we understand what's happening here. We want to understand justification. Uh, you see Peter talking about this in Acts chapter 2. 38, when he calls for them to repent, chapter 3, 19, chapter 10, 43, chapter 13, 38, and 39. Also, if you compare this to chapter 5, 31, and 17, 30, and 31, 20, uh, and 21, 22, and 16, 26, and 18, and then Luke 24, 47. But now listen to what Paul has to say. So we, we acknowledge that the book of Acts is saying this is the new deal, this is the new covenant, this is the church, and you need to be justified, and here's how you're justified. Here's what Jesus did, and that's the primary message of the gospel. But Paul goes on to say, on what many people, when we studied the book of Romans, we have that study too, many call it the fullest exposition of his gospel. Uh, Luther called it the clearest gospel of any of them. Justification through the cross of Christ is, I mean, Paul hits that in chapters 1 through 5. He picks right up where Acts left off, and 1 through 5, he's talking justification, justification, justification. And praise the Lord for that, okay? And as justification is the primary blessing, so it is fundamental. It's a fundamental blessing in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it, rests upon it, but adoption is then included. This is not saying that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel just because it's the primary foundation. Adoption, J.I. Packer says, I think I can make the case biblically that the concept of adoption is even higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. He said this is is where the relationship starts. This is a higher uh, thing to celebrate. Some textbooks on Christian doctrine, he talks about, treat adoption 
as something that is just kind of a subsection of justification. But J.I. Packer comes out and he says, I think this is inadequate. The two ideas are distinct. You shouldn't just lump them together. He said adoption is the more exalted. Justification is more of a forensic idea. It's conceived in terms of the law, meaning the law has been fulfilled. It views God as the judge. Why? What we said, we've talked about this. I can't really understand why I should be so excited about justification if I don't understand about God's judgment. We talked about God the judge. We talked about God's wrath. We talked about that, and we said, until you understand that, you really don't understand the gospel. And, and that's acknowledged, he said, but in this relationship, we're being justified and we're recognizing this part of our Father uh, that, that is our creator and our judge. We see that we need to be redeemed in order to be accepted by him. But, but Packer goes on to say, in justification, God declares of all penitent believers uh, that they are not and never will be liable to the death that their sins deserve because Jesus Christ, their substitute and their sacrifice, tasted death in their place on the cross. The free gift of acquittal and peace won for us at the cost of Calvary is wonderful enough. But justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification has been accomplished and never really have a close fellowship with God. If you just stay with justification and that's all you understand, you think, all right, this this God the judge is no longer going to condemn me. That's been done, but he's still this distant, cold judge that I don't really know. He said that's the problem with you treating uh, adoption as just, as just a subsection of justification. He said, no, this, these are two distinctly different things. And yes, we have to be justified or none of this even matters. But he said, in contrast with adoption, he said adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love, and it now views God not as just judge, but as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family, and we now fellowship with him. He doesn't just go on back to wherever he came from and said, okay, I'm not going to kill you now. You know, without adoption, you just stop with, okay, I guess I'm good with this judge, and I don't have to fear God's judgment, but what now what? Well, then adoption comes and says, no, no, no. justification now adopts. You've been adopted by God. You haven't just been uh, saved by Jesus and now won't receive his judgment. That's all true, but it's more than just not receiving his judgment. You now have become his son, his daughter. And that's a really, really big deal. So it, it's more than just, whew, I guess I won't be judged now. No, you, you, you have been adopted. And you, you now, you're now able to look to the great I am, the beginning who spoke creation and say, Abba, Father. And him say things like, talk to me. Uh, seek me and you'll find me. I don't withhold myself from my children. Fellowship with me. Have you ever felt the presence of God? I have. And I'm thinking, this is the creator of the universe. And now through Jesus, I, 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 have, a, I have fellowship with him. I'm his son. In adoption, God takes us into his family. And fellowship, he establishes us as his children and heirs, closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father, in J.I. Packer's opinion, is greater. That's even, that's even better news. And, and he, he has a ton of, of, of scripture to, to try to make his case. It's hard to refute it when you really think about it. And I, and I love him taking the time that he made sure we did think about it. Uh, so let's do adoption, the basis for our life. So the second point about adoption is that the entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of it. So sonship, and when I say sonship, if you're watching this and you're female, this means daughters as well. Uh, must be the controlling thought. You got to see yourself as a child of God. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Uh, th- this is this is a this is the way to look at it at every point. And he says this follows from the nature of the case and is strikingly confirmed by the fact that all our Lord's teaching on Christian discipleship. If you think about it, Jesus teaches this like we're like God's our Father. That's how He teaches it. 
He said, listen to this. He says this in Mark 3, 35. This is Jesus. Whoever does, does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Do you remember that? His, his biological, well, when I say that from, from the Mary side, so Mary and Joseph's other children show up. I know some of you think they didn't have other children. I don't know, I don't know why you're ignoring this scene in the Gospel of Mark, but we don't have time for that today. And if you want to talk about that, then you can email Speedy. But anyway, but, but so, <laughs> so his family shows up, and they're embarrassed by this, him trying to act like he's Messiah. And so they're like, go in there and get him. And they come in and say, hey, your mother and, and your siblings are out here, and they want you to come out. Well, he's in with the people who are following him. And what does he say? No, this is my family. If, if my earthly uh, brothers, if, if James and Jude, and we think that they even had sisters based on some of the references, if my earthly siblings do not see me as Messiah, and they're not justified by me, they're not my family. And I know that's an uncomfortable thought for some of you, but Scripture says right here, those that are justified, that's your brother. That's your sister. That's your mother. And if, you're, if your earthly mother, father, and sister, or children, if they're justified too, yeah, then they'll always be part of your family. But the redeemed, that's your family above any other family. And, and Jesus makes that very clear. He says, right, he goes, anybody who's doing God's will, if you're justified and you're belong to me, then you are my sister. You are my brother. You, you are my, my mother. And of course, we know also that, um, uh, when, when you see, uh, the, the, the scriptures, what, what, what do you hear, uh, the two evangelists note after, after Jesus was uh, in the resurrection? What does he say? He now calls his disciples, what his, what does he say? What does Jesus call the disciples after the resurrection? His brothers. That's what he calls them. Uh, uh, remember the women hurried away from the tomb and, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, and what did Jesus say to the women? He said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers uh, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's in Matthew 28, 9 and 10. Go to my brothers and tell them. Jesus now calls them his brothers. Again, Matthew 28, 9 and 10. He says, tell them that I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See him clarifying that? I'm going to the father, which, by the way, that's your father now. I'm going to God, which is, by the way, your God. So he's clarifying, I'm, I've resurrected and I've changed all this. You're now going to be adopted. And then, of course, Mary uh, Magdalene went to tell the disciples the news. Uh, and, um, and, and so... Uh, Listen to this. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He assures us that the Lord Jesus regards all those from whom he has died and whom he makes into his disciples as his brothers. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said in, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Write that down. Hebrews 2, 12 and 13. Here's what it says. The son does not shrink from calling men his brothers when he says, I will proclaim thy name to my brothers. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. You see, as our maker uh, is our father, so our savior is our brother when it comes to the family of God. That's really cool. So also we see God, that adoption appears in the Sermon on the Mount as the basis of Christian conduct. Uh, it is often uh, remarked that the sermon teaches Christian conduct not by giving a full scheme of rules and, a, you know, and, and details to be followed by the letter, with this, some mechanical precision, uh, but by indicating it in a broad and general way, the spirit, direction, and objectives, objectives, the guiding principles and ideals by which the Christian must steer his course. It's often noted that this is kind of a, uh, it's, it's really an ethic of responsible freedom, which is a little different before the, the new covenant. Uh, this, is, this is much different than the way we saw things in the Old Testament. Uh, he said also, the sermon has a quality uh, that uh, is not far to seek. It's because it is in truth instruction for the children of the family. He says, if you can tell on the Sermon on the Mount, if I can kind of summarize what J.I. Packer is trying to say here, on the Sermon on the Mount, this has a different feel than the way God spoke to the, his, his, his chosen people in the Old Testament. Jesus is there on this hill, and he's talking through how you live out this Christian life, and he's kind of talking to you like you're his family. It's, it's a different concept. 
And he says, um, so number one in the Sermon on the Mount is the principle of imitating the Father. Listen to what he says. I tell you, love your enemies that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember, we've said that before, very unpopular. People always say, well, you know, you don't have to be perfect. Uh, Yeah, you do. That's the reason why we need justification in Jesus, because Jesus is saying if you want to be a child of God, then you have to be perfect, because he's perfect. So I make you perfect. Very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. The children must show the family likeness in their conduct. Jesus is spelling out, be holy, for I am holy, and he's spelling this great concept out in very simple family terms. we got to be like Daddy. And, and I'm the one that will make you like him. You can be uh, his heir as well. Number two, what does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? The principle of what? The, remember all these concepts of fatherhood? Glorifying the Father. What does he say in the sermon? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. Uh, how does Jesus tell us how to pray in, in Matthew 6 on the sermon? He says we pray how? Our Father, hallowed be your name. Number three is the principle of pleasing the Father. In Matthew 6, 1 through 18, Jesus dwells on the need to be single-minded. We need to be God-pleasers. Uh, you know, he, he states, beware of practicing your piety before men in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Don't go out and live this life to, for, for human beings to applaud you. You go live a life that is devoted to pleasing your heavenly Father, and you do it for him to be pleased, not for you to get the applause of human beings. He said this is a reward that's within family, uh, an extra love token such as parents love to surprise their children when the children have, been, uh, have tried especially hard to please the purpose of our Lord's promise of reward, which we find in Matthew 6, 4, and Matthew six, and also in verse 6 and 18, it's not to make us think in terms of wages, like, uh, you know, quid pro quo, you do this and then I do that, but simply to remind us that our Heavenly Father will notice and show special pleasure when we concentrate our efforts on pleasing Him and Him alone. The audience of one. We are looking for the applause of an audience of one, and because of the justification provided by Jesus Christ, this audience of one is our heavenly Father. Have you ever, those of you that maybe had a good relationship with your earthly father, do you uh, do you know this concept? You know, it's 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 one thing you know for strangers to tell you that you did well, but but it's quite another for your father to tell you that you did well. that does it's, it's a whole different feeling. If you have a good relationship with your father, and, and even if you don't have a good relationship with your earthly father, it's probably something that you craved, especially men, uh, but, but women as well, but especially men. The insult of a bad relationship with an earthly father to males is, is paramount because they're always seeking for their earthly father to say, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. If you're an earthly father watching this right now, don't withhold this from your children. I'm not saying that you tell them that if they're not behaving appropriately, but don't be the kind of father that um, all your children ever hear is what they did wrong. And it's okay to correct them. There's nothing wrong with that. They need to be taught. Uh, But be sure that they hear from you uh, that you're proud of what they do right. And this um, this is what Jesus is talking about with the concept of our Heavenly Father. Let's, let's hold right there because I don't think we're going to be able to go uh, into the rest of this. When we come back next week to kind of get us ready for a little bit of a break, I'm going to unpack the rest of this chapter on this concept of us being adopted into the family of God. And, um, and it's going to talk about more on the Sermon on the Mount because when we start talking about the concept of a true Christian prayer, uh, what does it look like now for us to, to pray as adopted sons and adopted daughters. And we'll kind of pick up right there when we come back next week. Uh, but, but, but take away, I hope right now we've, we've done enough walking through at least a little over half of the chapter 
for you to understand why J.I. Packer talks about this adoption as being something that should be celebrated even more so than justification. Uh, because it, 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 it's, yes, it's the result of the justification, and the justification is something to be celebrated, but this justification was more than just appeasing God the judge. It, it also caused us to be adopted by a perfect Heavenly Father and to have access to God that the rituals of the Old Testament never provided. Never provided. So how does it feel to know that if you're justified, that you're adopted into the family of God? It's really something to celebrate. And if you're not, you don't think that that's ever happened in your life, that is available to you. God uh, is not withholding this fathership from you. You really can speak to the great I am in a way that you would speak to a father who, yes, has authority, uh, yes, a father that should be honored, but also a father that uh, that desires fellowship with you, uh, that cares for you, that loves you. Uh, and that is something to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, incredible study today to, to just think about this and just celebrate this. Uh, you know, we always talk about the gospel. You know, it's good news, and it truly is. But as I think we're understanding, it's not just good news because of justification. That's important, and that's a must. It's the foundation. But it's really good news because we now can call you Abba Father. We, we, have, we have been adopted by you. We have been born again, and we now have a perfect father. And Lord, help those that may be struggling with that today and, and help those that maybe because of a bad relationship with their earthly father, it's, it's, it's caused them to see you in a way that's incorrect, that somehow they've put the characteristics of their flawed father on you, their perfect father. And maybe today that was corrected. Uh, go with us, Lord, as we go through the rest of our day and take the things that we've learned and apply it to us, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us. We'll finish this, uh, the rest of this concept uh, in next week's study. If you need to, need to uh, reach out to me, you always can. Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks for being with us.